0: I'm A. Ortega, author of Ghost Squad and Richlings.
1: And I'm Kat Cho, author of the New Duology and Once Upon a Cape And this is Right or Die. Hello. Okay. Hello, hello. All right. I feel like we're finally solidly in twenty twenty two. Yeah. We are. We're we're doing the thing. We're doing it. We're here. We're here. We're here and we're queer.
0: Yes. Both, oh, we've got nice hair. Both, both true things. All three true things.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I, we already have, like, a pre-chat topic, so why don't we just, like, do it without, like, beating around the bush, huh?
0: Yeah, that's a good idea. So we're just, uh, we're going to talk about, like, sort of what's worked for us in terms of self-promo and mm-hmm. maybe what hasn't worked so well um yes. and so
1: a case study a, if you a case will study
0: so uh, so like for <laughs> me it's it's weird because like ghost squad and witchlings are two very different books and there's uh what i mean by that also like in like not only are there two very, very different books like one is a series one is a standalone standalone one was my debut one is my second book um but like the approach from my publisher has been very different for both too. So like, that's something to take into account that like, you can never sort of like discount like the publisher angle of things, you know, cause a lot of times you see what an author is doing or what's been, what, what is being done online. But a lot of what publishers do, you don't see it as like a regular, like consumer because they're putting, like, ads in magazines or doing stuff in trade shows. So, I just wanted to use that as a caveat for, like, what's been done for my books, right? Because I feel like Witchlings yeah. has had a lot more stuff than Ghost Squad. Um, so, for Ghost Squad... Totally. What?
1: No, I was agreeing with you. I said totally. Um, so,
0: so for Ghost Squad... Um, Weirdly, one of the things that helped Ghost Squad is that I had like a really long lead time, which is not something that you can control, but Ghost Squad was announced mm-hmm. in 2017 and it didn't release until 2020. And that the reason for that is because it got pushed a couple times for different reasons. Um, but you know, everyone always says like more time, the more time you get to pre-order, which sometimes that feels like not real it feels like no people are going to lose enthusiasm but i really do think that it depends on the book and like how you do things um for me i was lucky enough that i had been fostering sort of like a community for a really long time um and that helped because by the time my book came out there were so many people who were just excited to support me and ready to support me so um i have both good and bad things to say about how i cultivated my community and what that did for me that was both good and bad but we can get into that later
2: um
1: yeah well what's like so so what's like one big thing like actual action item that you feel like you did
0: i i would that helped you i would say that on? i would say like engaging with the with the book community and supporting other authors and just sort of like becoming part of the writing world I don't think that okay. the things that happened for Ghost Squad would have happened had I not done that. Um okay. so that's definitely one for me. How about you?
1: The thing is is like I agree with your answer so much because I do think like that organic engagement and that growth of your community helps a lot, but I also get it like that that's advice that people often get and then they get frustrated because they're like it's so different for everyone mm. and how we community and how we put ourselves out there because we're all such different personalities so so I guess I was like hoping that like we could give like a thing where it's like I don't regret doing this yeah kind of a thing yeah so for me I don't regret any of the digital um graphics that I made to promote my books and yeah. I don't regret posting them all the time. Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that's because, like, Claribel said this before. Like, even if you have, like, really loyal followers, the loyal followers will only are not online every time you're mm-hmm. online. So they'll re- even they will really only see, like, a fraction of the stuff that you're posting. Um And then the casual follower will really see even less than that. So you think that you're flooding the timeline with, like, all of your promo shit, but you're really, really not. And so, like, I have zero regrets about how many graphics I made. And I have zero regrets about getting super-duper addicted to Canva. (laughs) Um, Because I just, like... I can spend hours on Canva. Actually, what I do now—I don't know if you do this, Clarabelle—but because I know that the moment I s- I open my Canva, I'm going to end up getting sucked in for like at least an hour. I I'll, I'll turn on a podcast or an audiobook first, and so that I'll have like, oh well, at least I'm like listening to this audiobook while I fix the margins by centimeters at a time.
0: Yeah, I actually love doing <laughs> that. I feel like it's really. Um soothing like making graphics is fun Mm -hmm. for me so i completely understand that um i i along those lines like i would say like if i and i said this once on twitter if i was to give anyone one piece of advice of what to invest in themselves in their author career it would be to teach themselves graphic design and after effects Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um Mm -hmm. for me i think making videos especially was such a huge thing for go squad like making the videos the way that I made them too, like funny uh, like goofy silly like sort of like tongue-in-cheek was not really you see a lot more of that now but like when I was doing it like you didn't see as much of it because people felt like really like rigid about like their self promo and like being really serious about it and I think now with like how popular book talk is and stuff like that people are a lot looser with how they do book promo mm-hmm. which I think is great because I think you should be having fun when you do things um but that helped me so much the videos that I made for ghost squad from the silliest thing which was like announcing the title of the book using the stranger things opening that got <laughs> me so many view- like 80 90 thousand views on twitter so many hundreds of followers mm-hmm. and like people excited about the book because it was just like something different and funny so I would definitely mm-hmm. say like teach yourself how to use After Effects look up things like um, Envato Elements which is like a website where you can get like um, uh, templates and uh, stock video stock photo you can also use Canva like Kat was saying Canva is a great alternative if you don't want to spend money and want something like a little bit simpler um, book brush is also um,
1: spell out Spell out that Mbato one so yeah. I can put it in the so show notes. So it's
0: E-N-V-A-T-O and then okay. Elements. I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Elements, mm-hmm. okay. And then Book Brush is another really good one, which is like sort of like Canva with like a book-specific spin. And that's really great oh, because... Know it, about that one. It's amazing. It's a little bit expensive. It, I think for like the lowest... Um. Um, for the lowest tier, it's, like, I think, like, 130 a year, something like that. Um, okay. But,
1: like, it has... So, like, t- $11 a month. Yeah,
0: but it has, like, templates built in, like, like Bookstagram-focused, like, templates where you just put your book cover in. Um, mm-hmm. It has, like, um, very promo-y ones where it's, like, a box set of your books or, like, your audiobook or, like, a sale... Um, uh, with like the the words already there, like all like all you have to do is add your like your book cover and change the words around, but everything else is already done for you. and wow, it's really nice. and um, it also has like if you ever do like an add-on book bub or anything like that, it has like the dimensions for that already um picked out for you, like everything. so I think that's oh, wow. a really great one if you're a super beginner and like, don't feel like teaching yourself like Photoshop or like Photoshop and after effects is more expensive getting th- those. Th- it's like $25 mm-hmm. a month for like each of those things. Um, mm-hmm. Not to mention actually teaching yourself how to do it, which is a big <laughs> learning curve. After effects is really hard. Um, so I think book Bob would be like, not book sorry, book brush is a really good um, thing to look into as well uh, for graphic design.
1: That's amazing. I I just learned something new. There you go. Um, yeah. And then so another thing about this whole like making your own graphics. Well, first of all, I do think it's worth it for you to ask your publisher if they will make graphics for you first, especially when it comes to um, blurbs of the book or like trade reviews, mm-hmm. like little pull quotes from trade reviews because it is kind of nice to have it like officially from your publisher yeah. with their little logo in the bottom. Like I would never encourage authors to put their publishers logos on their graphics themselves. I think there's kind of like a little bit of a line there. Like you're implying that your publisher made the graphic when they didn't.
2: Mm.
1: Um, so I would go through your publisher first. I've always, I've always just asked my publicist before I make um, pull quotes, graphics i'm like hey are you guys planning on doing this because i'll hold off doing it yeah i don't want to waste my time doing it if they're yeah, going to for sure. and yeah so and then for wicked fox they were like oh yeah sure we'll do it and like i don't know if they were always going to do it or like i triggered them to do it but then they did and so then i didn't have to but then um you know for vicious spirits which was a sequel they didn't do it for that and that was fine i found out they were like oh we're not going to do it we're just going to like reuse the quotes from wicked fox and i was like that's fine i'll just make my own vicious spirit specific quote graphic so i can like do little quotes from like sections of the book that i like which some authors do and i find to be like really fun yeah. so um but yeah i most things i'll go i'll I'll just like mention it to my editor or my publicist depending on how comfortable you feel with them um because I mean, why not just ask your publisher to do it first? The worst thing they can say is no. Yeah, absolutely. Then, it's true. And you yeah. also don't want to like,
0: sometimes I think we're in a rush to do things and they might like your publisher might have things planned out to share at a specific moment in time to like coincide with something different. So it's just always good to talk to them to see what they were thinking. So you, you're not duplicating work. Um, Mm -hmm. Scholastic's been really good about that with me we have like a shared folder so whenever they make graphics for Witchlings they share it with me so I see what they're doing and they keep me updated on it not every publisher is going to be like as transparent and like collaborative Um, Mm -hmm. but I think it's worth trying to like sort of establish that relationship and also a really good tip that's um, that's for like gra- graphics related things, I always ask for the layered file of my book cover. And mm-hmm. the reason why is because if you are going to be making your own graphics and stuff like that, it's good to keep it uniform. Try to make it look like your publisher made it, even if they're not making it for you. So using the same elements from your book cover, using the same fonts from your book cover and using that consistently, mm-hmm. whenever you're making anything for your book, keep it like sort of, um, on brand. Um, that's been really helpful for me too.
1: Yeah, no, totally fair. And, and usually I, I've never had an issue when I've asked for the mm-hmm. like yeah, the clean file or the layered cover, um, from my publisher. I've asked for it for every book so far and they've always sent it to me. Um, yeah, mm-hmm in terms of like specific things you can make graphics out of there's like so many things that you can do we've already mentioned some of them uh pull quotes from reviews um, and blurbs like authors who've blurbed your book you can you can like do a little short section of their blurb um obviously make sure that you attribute it to the correct author who's blurbing your book um uh trade reviews also um one of the best pieces of advice i ever heard was that like even if there's even if the trade review is not like overall good. Like publishers all the time will like find the one good line and they'll pull that quote, <laughs> right? Yeah. I and, love that. <laughs> and I'm like, "Do it, man." I mean, first of all, like a trade review is not the end all be all and like that good mm-hmm. that good one line is still a good line. that means that the reviewer did like that part of your book. So why not like yep. you know, talk about that. Um so you're allowed to do that just so you know. Um and then, uh, and like I said, a lot of people are starting to do like fun quotes from the book itself. My mm-hmm. advice here, because it's from personal trial and error, is just like make sure that like it's something short and sweet that can fit on fit readably on an Instagram post. Um, because. If it's something where, like, this line is funny, but only if you read, like, the page of dialogue before because it's a punchline, then maybe that isn't the one to use, you know? But if it's, Mm -hmm. like, this one-sentence description of the forest is really moody, then that's a better one to use, probably.
0: Yeah, and you also want to make sure that it is actually making the final cut of your book. So you don't want to, (laughs) like, share it too early. Like, it's true. Like, sometimes shit gets cut. And then people are like, where's the line? Um, (laughs) You'd be surprised what readers latch on (laughs) to.
1: It's so funny. There's a line that my publisher loved from Wicked Fox. And they used it for everything. And, like, I liked it, too. But I was hyper aware of, like, that line will always have to stay in the book. Because, like, it's being used for everything. That is the line that is wicked fox at this point (laughs) is this the first line no it's the one where night and darkness makes a believer of everyone oh i mean that's such a good line (laughs) yeah so i was like i it was never in danger of being deleted but i was like very protective i was like everything around that line also needs to be protected so that it can like stay in its truest form like it was so funny
0: yeah Um, um i will also say that like And we can include the video um, that I did for DVCon on media kits, but having one of those on your website is really helpful. And another thing that you can use graphics for is that, like, whenever I have a media kit, I do include shareable graphics for, like, bloggers or readers who want to support you. I make Mm -hmm. little, um, on Canva, I'll make Instagram stories, like animated ones. Um, for people to share. And people have shared it in the past. And I I asked them to like, use this, the certain hashtag that I'm using for the book, all that kind of stuff adds up. And you're just making it easier for people who support you to support you. Because people yeah. lose, uh, like, their attention span is, like, very fast. And, like, <laughs> if if you can, ha- like, grab their attention for a second and be like, please do this thing um, before they, like, go away. You just never know how many people you're going to, like, impact, like, as, like, a ripple effect. So just go for it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, also, oh, so one thing that I really liked that I have... I did lightly for Wicked Fox, but I think I'm going to do it more for K-Prom is videos that kind of go into like the inspiration for the book, like the mm. core inspiration. Yeah. So- this was something that my publisher wanted me to do was to make videos about the different myths of the Gumiho since my book is completely based on that mythology. And I was really, really lucky because Penguin like brought me into their like little cute little studio and they shot it for me where I'm just like telling the story and they animated it, um, which was so adorable. But then I was like, this is really cute. I want to do it again for Vicious Spirits because there's different types of mythology in Vicious Spirits. So they didn't do it for Vicious Spirits. So I just did it myself um and edit it myself like um i have final cut pro but iMovie works fine you know for a short video like if it's like a five minute video you don't yeah. need anything more than like iMovie. um and then for k prom like obviously it's inspired heavily by the k-pop industry and as like a fan since like my childhood i know a lot of random k-pop facts So I've already started to, like, talk about that stuff, like, on my blog or, like, in my Instagram captions. I'll talk about, like, the origin of, like, K-pop photo cards and stuff like that. Um, But I'm going to make videos, too, because I think it'll be fun. And I like making videos. But um, I know that, like, Tracy Chi, for her book um, We Are Not Free, which was about Japanese internment, she made a bunch of videos about her research.
0: That's really Uh, cool
1: and then she also for her newest book she like literally invented a language she like hired a linguist and like invented a language because holy crap i know she's so extra but i love her so intense i love her so much anyway um but she did that and she made she's starting to release a bunch of videos about it and i think that's just like really cool because Mm -hmm. that's like a fun it's fun content that's extras it's kind of like the bonus content right yeah um and and it's a way to get people excited in your book without giving spoilers or, like, doing the same things over and over again. Yeah. Um, I just think it's pretty cool. So there's a lot of stuff you can do if you're willing to give a behind-the-scenes peek yeah, of your just, process.
0: Yeah, just make it, like, specific to your book. And, like, Yeah. I think when you are excited about the thing that you're sharing, it's a lot more likely for other people to get excited. So if, if you enjoyed doing something or there's something, like, like that, like creating your own language or mythology behind your book, all of those things, like people get really into it and like you bring them into the world and it will make them more invested. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think like that's like probably the most important thing, like just enjoying the thing that you're doing because it can mm-hmm. very easily feel like a chore. Um, self-promo can yeah. feel really like, something you have to do and it can be frustrating and and sometimes you know what sometimes your publisher is going to ask you to do stuff that it's like uh I don't want to do this thing you know and like (laughs) sometimes you just have to do it like not everybody wants to be on every social media platform and sometimes you're asked to Mm -hmm. do videos or like I have like five different videos I have that I have to do for Scholastic for, like, different things uh, within the next month or two. I love doing videos, but not everybody does. Ooh, I have a really good tip also for people who <laughs> have a hard time making videos. Um, oh, There is this app called Teleprompter, um, <gasps> and it's really great because you can put whatever thing you need to say on your mm-hmm. phone, on this, like, little thing, and then it records you while the text scrolls.
1: <gasps> and so you're smart. reading
0: the text, and the text will be next to the camera, so it looks <gasps> like you're looking at the camera, the same way like a teleprompter would work, basically. Again, this That's isn't so f- smart free. It costs, I think, like sixty dollars a year. But Six if zero. Yeah, but if Oof. you're an author, it is a tax write off, and <sighs> I know that a lot of people like you have to record like a twenty second video, and you'll have like. Fifty eight videos in your phone from like trying so many times. Um, this has helped me, I think, um, cut down on like the amount of times I have to uh, record something. Um, and it's just been really good. So that's another another clarable tip.
1: <laughs> no, that's a really good one. Yeah. Um... Yeah. And 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 like it makes a lot of sense. Oh, my God. The worst thing is trying to memorize a script for any video that's longer than 10 seconds. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so hard. <laughs> um, is there anything that you did that you probably won't do again?
0: Woo. Yeah. Um, so I think that in line <laughs> with like building community, I think that you have to be really careful about how much you shared, how much of yourself you sort of like expose online because Uh the more you give of yourself, the more people end up expecting from you. And unfortunately the more people sort of like develop parasocial relationships with you sometimes too. And I think if, I think it's hard because I don't think I would change anything that I did because I have the things that I have now in part because of those things I just wish that there had been a way to sort of like hold back a little bit um because it's hard to go through the journey of publishing your book in the public eye and I think we both talk about that a lot how like when we got our agents and everything like that it was in a very public way and some Mm -hmm. and people become like invested in your career which is great but then that can also put a lot of pressure on you and like some people don't know how to maintain boundaries when it comes to stuff like that and will ask you really invasive questions um or 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 like did you get a book deal yet how much was your book deal for so like because you're transparent they feel like they have right to access anything about you mm-hmm. um and like mostly on twitter i feel like that impacted my mental health in a really bad way and i had to learn how to like put boundaries up and show people like i'm a real person and i'm not like a quote unquote big account you can't just like talk to me however you want or use me as a resource and then like sort of throw me away which has also happened a lot because because i'm helpful like i've had a lot of authors come to me ask me for help i've walked them through really difficult situations Help them with th- with things opened up like trauma that's happened to me mm-hmm. to help them because they asked and then they like never talk to me again Aww. and like that's that's not like i'm not asking to be friends with every single person who asks me for advice but i also don't want to be used in that way you know um yeah so i would just be careful with like how you present yourself and how you like, the boundaries that you draw online when it comes to other people. Like, yes, we want to foster a community, but, like, a community is not using the people around you for your benefit. A community is, like, supposed to be about, like, uplifting one another helping one another and truly being there for one another. Um, different people have different ideas of what community means. Uh, not everybody has the right idea. No, not, not everybody has your best interests in mind, and I think mm-hmm. that that's important to remember when you're um, going into, like, the publishing world, um, just, it, it's a job. You should be professional, and you don't have to share everything. You don't have to expose everything about y- yourself. You can keep things close to your, your chest, especially personal things.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, I think it's really important from the get-go to, like, just decide what you need for your mental health, to, like, where mm-hmm. to draw the line between your personal mm-hmm. life – and your professional life. Um, Like I don't post personal photos of like my family anymore on my Instagram. I just Mm want to protect them and their privacy. And like they didn't choose (laughs) to be in the public eye. Like this wasn't the life that they chose. So I'm not going to do that to them. Um, One of the things that I did for my debut that i don't think i'll ever do again is to completely finance a pre-order campaign all by myself oh yeah that's a hard one it's hard and it's also hard because like pre-order campaigns can be really fun i totally mm. get it it's like it's fun because like you're it's swag of your book like whatever you choose to do for it it's like something created a a like art created for your book outside of the book. And that's always like an exciting thing to have. Um, But I I feel like I've definitely said this before. It just pre-order campaigns. There's no hard data to prove if it moves the needle or not. And so I've always told people my advice is always like, if you're going to do a pre-order campaign, your first responsibility to yourself is to know that you're doing this to connect to your community and for Mm -hmm. fun. And that's it. You're not doing this because you expect it to completely change how many pre-orders you actually get. Um, Because like in all likelihood, it's not going to really convince too many new people to pre-order your book who weren't already going to do it. Um, And then The other thing is, like, it can be really expensive, like, depending on what you choose to do, like, but so I did, like, probably what's the cheapest thing to do, which is character cards. Um, The most expensive part of that for me was commissioning the art, uh, which makes sense because that's the most labor (laughs) that goes into it is the artist drawing the characters. Um, And then printing it, which, like, you know, if if you're ordering it in bulk, it's a little bit cheaper, but, like, it's still... Not cheap <laughs> by any means. And then you have to pay to send it out to people. You have to pay for postage. And postage is getting more and more expensive these days. I just went to the post office today and realized it costs twice as much to send a letter to internationally as it did when I did my pre-order campaign. Awful. Um, yeah.
0: And so... I hate going to the post office. <laughs> if you have anxiety, there's a post office tax on your mental health as well. So take that into account
1: yeah so like so yeah i did it for my debut because i wanted to it was like my entry into publishing and Mm. and my debut book and and i and i definitely thought of it as like a thank you to the readers for giving me a chance you know and and picking up my book yeah Um, i think that's a
0: good reason to do it
1: yeah and and um i i went all out i did i did if if they requested it from their library they would get uh character cards if it was international they would get character cards like i anyone who could qualify probably qualified because i wanted it to be like a big happy party um it ended up being very expensive because of that um so for vicious spirits i didn't do a pre-order campaign but i was really lucky because penguin actually decided to do one um which was really cute and for once upon a k prom i had a lot of conversations with disney and i was like i'm willing to like take the lead on like brainstorming and ideas and like I know exactly what I want it to look like because I was going to fashion them after K-pop album photo cards um, which is such a Mm. thing in K-pop and I was like it just feels like a no brainer I was like but I don't don't have the bandwidth or the funds to be completely paying for this out of pocket will you help me in any way and I got really lucky because Disney said okay and so they took on some of the cost for me I don't think I would have done the pre order campaign without that. Yeah. Um it's just it's very expensive. <laughs> yeah, it definitely
0: can be. I uh my pre order campaign with Witchlings is run by Scholastic. Um I was gonna do a small one with my local indie, um, which mm-hmm. I still am, but they're sending everything out themselves. Yep. Um Scholastic put together something bigger for me, which is the only reason I'm doing more stuff. But, um, I I didn't do I did a digital one for Ghost Squad. I didn't do a physical one. I was like,
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because like there was Don't. so much that you were already doing for Ghost Squad. On yeah,
0: I was tired. Um, and you know, there's also like a difference between like young adult and middle grade books, mm-hmm. and like. There's a lot of different things to take into account, but yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, like, any type of promo that forces you to pay out of pocket deserves, like, a little bit more time to, like, really assess the cost benefit of it for you. Mm -hmm.
0: Because you also, you get excited with the idea of things, but then, like, when it comes down to, like, just remember, you're going to be, like, sitting in your living room packing these things yourself. (laughs) and like sending them out and like all like compiling the receipts like unless your publisher is doing it for you it's Mm -hmm. a lot of work and you are doing this at the same time that you're either writing another book revising or doing promo or maybe all three things at the same time Mm -hmm. so just like be cognizant of that and like remember like you only have so much bandwidth and like strength and like time and energy to do things and you are allowed to rest and take time to just play
1: stardew valley and eat ice cream okay yes uh it's winter right now in stardew valley for me and i always get like so bored because i can't plant crops you can that's a sidebar you
0: can plant winter crops uh
1: it's not as many as it's not as many. yeah it's to not really as fun
0: well do you have animals because that takes up a lot of
1: time mm. i have animals now i won't go off on it i won't make us go off on too much of a tangent we'll talk about okay. this later okay <laughs> <laughs> um anyway yeah i think those are like the big things The like the big ticket items that like mm. we pretty much covered most of them
0: yeah yeah and you know just think outside the box too i think that's what i did the most like just thought of things that would be fun for me to do and mm-hmm. for me as a consumer to see and I just did it even Makes if sense. I never saw anybody else doing it it didn't matter
1: oh yeah for sure mm-hmm. like like I, I I the things that I like the most are like things that like only this person could have come up with this yeah kind of a moment mm-hmm um, I really like those. Like I photoshopped K-pop stars reading *Once Upon a K-Problem*. That was really fun. I'm so freaking extra. But the but some of them were real. So. Oh yes. Well, I, RM really did read it. Um, <laughs> he's he's um he said he's gonna like wait until it gets published to post his review though. Oh my gosh! I'm excited yeah. to see that. <laughs> I hope he liked you it. Can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this week's guest is Judy Lin. Judy was born in Taiwan and immigrated to Canada with her family at a young age. She grew up with her nose in a book and loved to escape to imaginary worlds. She now works as an occupational therapist and still spends her nights dreaming up imaginary worlds on her own. She lives on the Canadian prairies with her husband and daughter. A Magic Steeped in Poison is her debut novel. Hi Judy, how are you?
2: Hi, I'm doing great, how are you? We're good. We're good.
0: good. It sounds like we're
2: happy to you have you on the show. Are you yeah. <laughs> <actually> doing great? <laughs> I'm just very excited to be here, honestly, because I'm such a huge fan of the show Aww, and nice. just been listening from the beginning. And then <laughs> I was like, I can't believe that I get to be on it because I thought it was like the last season and I wouldn't get a chance to talk to both of you. But.
1: Very Hi. exciting oh, We had to bookmark from a long time ago. Don't you worry? <laughs> We're like when when Judy sells, sells her debut, we shall we shall have her on. Um, okay, let's. Okay, well, that's a good segue though because like, you know, we've kind of known each other, or or been like you know mutuals, right? For for quite a bit mm-hmm. of of your publishing journey. Um, and it started like way, 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 way back when, when you were in like a mentorship program. Um, so can you just kind of break down your beginnings in publishing and how you really got into it?
2: So like I mentioned in my bio, it, I was reading a lot as a kid and, um, but it would just, even though I was always had like a book with me and I did a lot of writing, it was never something that I imagined that would be uh, possible for me to write my own story and see it on a bookshelf one day. Um, Just because there were not that many Asian American, Asian Canadian authors Mm -hmm. back when I was growing up. So um, it was kind of put on hold where, of course, with my, Traditional Taiwanese parents saying, "You need to do something that is um, probably related to healthcare, and um, and focus on something that can bring you money." And writing is not going to be it, so mm-hmm. that was put on hold for a couple of years. But then um, I kind of made my way back to writing, um, with dabbling in fan fiction, and so. I, it just kind of grew from there where I started enjoying it a lot again. And um, it was in 2016 where I was on um, maternity leave with my um, daughter and I had time to work on some projects that I wanted to work on. And that resulted in me just kind of putting <laughs> my manuscript script out there um, mm-hmm. Into pitch wars, and I think that was when um, I connected with you, Kat because <laughs> <laughs> I remember messaging you and being like, "Oh, um, Axie and Janela, so that's Axio and Janelle Angeles. They seem so great, but I don't know if they would like my book." <laughs> and then you were all like, "Yes, submit to them. They would love to uh, read your story." And um, and then they picked me, which was very <laughs> exciting. And but it wouldn't have happened without Kat's encouragement,
1: <laughs> so it's
2: um, yeah, it all aligned from there.
1: It was exciting for me because. like I was like this is exactly the kind of author and story that I knew Axie and Janelle wanted so I was trying to play it cool I was like oh yeah you should totally I don't know maybe just like submit your work to them I don't know whatever but like in the back of my head I was like oh my god I hope she does it because they'll love it so much
2: yeah you were so casual you're just like yeah it would be really great I'm sure they'd love to read it and then
1: yeah I was like if you want to submit to them, I mean why not (laughs)
2: so But yeah, Axie and Janelle are so wonderful. And really, back then, I wasn't, I think I just joined Twitter because of Pitch Wars. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really involved in any writing community except for like the fan fiction part. And then, um, so that was kind of a, uh, just throw my hat in the ring, see what happens. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, that's great. And, and, you know, we have talked about Pitch Wars before on the podcast. Um, So most people do know what it is. Um, It's like a pitch event where mentors and mentees are paired up for a few months and they work on the manuscript and then they get to pitch the books to agents during the agent round. Um, What like kind of was your biggest driving factor, Judy, for like deciding that you wanted to be in a mentorship program as part of like your writing journey? as opposed to, like, just slash querying?
2: I think I was really clueless, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> like, <I> was... Same. <laughs> yeah. So I remember just reading about, like, how to get an agent, how to query, and I was so overwhelmed <laughs> because I I was just writing, and I have... Um, I finally had a completed manuscript, and then... I go online and I look up all these things, and I uh, was, I didn't even know where to start. <laughs> so that's why I thought, well, maybe going to Pitch Wars and having a, a mentor would be really helpful in navigating all of those things um, related to publishing that I obviously had no idea about. And it was just a really great experience because, um, I mean, Axiom in general didn't have to um it just basically had to read my manuscript and, and help me with the revisions and um and help me with the agent showcase but they they really went above and beyond and provided so much support and guidance for me so i'm very appreciative Aww. of them for that
1: that's good it's so I'm glad. Sweet. I'm glad that yeah. Axie did her job or else I would have yelled at
2: her. No. I was just about <laughs> to say that
1: <laughs> Axie would have gotten in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay, you could tell me if she did no. I'm sure she did. She <laughs> she like loved working with you. So
0: Aww. I'm
1: glad that everyone got to connect to that. But that's so great. Like, I mean, I think Clairebell and I have talked about this before on the podcast but like one of the best parts of mentorship programs isn't like the agent showcase or isn't even like getting the shiny manuscript at the end it's the like connections you make it's the community you find
2: yeah that's very true because the um in the 2016 mentee group I still keep in touch with a, a couple of um friends from that time and we still like um chat every once in a while and um, and it's just so nice to see everybody's career um, grow in different ways, mm-hmm. very unexpected ways after. So it it's it was it's pretty exciting to to remember those times and like how far we've come.
1: For now. sure. Definitely. Um so then, you know, you, you had your shiny manuscript. You did the age around in pitch wars. So then how did you end up signing with your agent
2: so I actually signed with my agent uh, Rachel Brooks um, during the showcase um, I I did have well, I was one of the success stories I guess you can say um, <laughs> with I got an offer really quickly and it was very exciting and then it felt like everybody around me was getting book deals and I was sitting there like, Oh, twiddling my thumbs, hoping mm. that something will work out. But um, that book didn't sell. So, Spoiler alert, didn't sell. And um, so that that was a little bit soul-crushing in a way. I have Aww. to say that sounds so, so depressing. But um, I, I think it was, it was just, I think it was exciting to be picked as a mentee. It was exciting to go through all of that. And of course, um, being happy for people, um, that I know, like getting deals, but then of course, disappointing when it didn't work out for me. So, yeah,
0: that's, that's always difficult. Um, when things don't work out in that way. Um, but like as someone whose first manuscript also didn't sell, I always feel like, um, I'm, I don't want to I'm glad it did it (laughs) which sounds weird but like I feel like the book that did sell is more representative of what I wanted my debut to be but for you what do you feel like you learned if anything from that experience of like not selling your first manuscript because I know that can be really hard for a new author because you 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 think Thinks sort of like okay I get an agent then I sell my book and I get a book deal but it's not always that linear
2: Mm -hmm. yeah and that's definitely true for a lot of people that I know as well and and I think that it was helpful to be with others like in the mentee group and also the connections I made with other um, writers during that time is that um, you don't really see what's going on Behind the scenes, right? You hear all the mm-hmm. the success stories, and uh, and then you're kind of in the background, in <laughs> uh, trying to figure out what to do, how to move on next, and. But I, I actually agree that um, I'm. I was in the same place where I'm glad that book didn't sell. I mean, mm-hmm. it was. It's still a very special story to me, but. Um, I like looking back now, I've changed a lot as a as a writer and um, and I think personally I grew a lot too from the experience. and so in, yeah, thinking back on it, I'm glad it didn't work out, but it's still um I guess I've actually never really talked about it like this is the first time oh wow yeah an an exclusive (laughs) I never really did like those you know how I I used to read all those posts like how did I get my agent how did I get my book deal (laughs) you know those things and I never really wrote about it I think it's because I don't like sharing I guess just, I'm just those very personal experiences for me mm. it's kind of like reliving that disappointment right oh yeah so
0: yeah that can be really hard but like I find it like obviously me and Kat talked about this before too like having those boundaries are really important and only sharing like what's comfortable for you but it's always like comforting uh when we do hear those like issues that authors go through that are not like talked about as much. You know what I mean? So thank you for sort of sharing that because I know that there are probably people listening to this that are going through that same exact thing right now. And it helps to feel like less lonely in that kind of experience. Um. So for people who don't know what a magic seeped in poison is all about, can you give us a quick overview of the book?
2: A so, Magic Steep of Poison follows the story of Ning, who is a commoner um, and a reluctant practitioner of tea magic. And she has to travel to the capital in order to partake in uh, the magical tea competition to uh, win a favor from the princess to save her dying sister. Whoa. That sounds so I intense. Love <laughs> I,
1: I love it so much. I, you know what? Like, you I, I know what your first book was a- about the one that you did in pitch wars and that there was like a huge food element to it as well and so like like I just knew like you plus a book talking about like a magical tea competition that there would be like great imagery and like visceral food moments so like it just like feel, felt like such a no-brainer when I heard that this was the book you were going to debut with <laughs> And I, th- I always say that's one of my writer
2: writer goals is to make sure the reader is hungry. To <laughs> read <my laughs> book. And I've gotten a lot of reviewers saying that you need to have snacks on hand when you read it. So that makes me very happy. That is incredible. That makes me
0: that so, so happy.
1: Funny. I'm really glad that people um, that people are having that experience with your book because like, it just like seems like that is like gonna be your brand. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Um okay, so let's talk about these covers. Gorgeous covers for your books. Um, how is that process for you? I I feel like a lot of times like we don't necessarily talk about the cover design process, but I'm always fascinated with like how mm-hmm. it goes down.
2: So um... I, originally, my um, editor, I come um, back with a couple of um, artists that um, I really admire, so I was excited to work with them. But they were not available. Um, and then um, she sent me the portfolio for—I'm um, hoping I'm pronouncing her name right so just, um portfolio, and I was just so blown away because she just uses color and like movement so well. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, yeah, forget about all those other people this is the <laughs> one that I want. And I'm so lucky that she decided to take on the covers for um, my books. And um, the first time I saw it. It was, it was just, it was spectacular, to be honest. And I'm, and also the design team wanted to do um, both books at once, and also have the jackets um they all they extend into one full art piece so that oh, wow. seeing the full thing was really i love that was, so yeah, much
1: that so <laughs> cool. wait that is so cool uh, i can't wait to get my copies so i could do that <laughs> um oh that's so you so um so you designed the book covers together which like i've I actually have never heard of that happening, designing a whole series book covers at the same time. Like I have heard of like book cover design changing in the middle of the series, which is super frustrating. Um, but is that because they're being published so closely together?
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that they had to work on both covers at the same time, just because there's there the two books are releasing like a little bit, less than six months um, apart so it will i think that was just part of their process but i yeah i'm so thrilled with it and the response to the covers has been really amazing and so she has done so much other like really beautiful art so everyone should follow her on instagram
1: so speaking Uh of your book's coming out six months apart. How has that experience been for you? I mean, you're debuting, first of all, which is, like, (laughs) a new experience already. But this is really rare to have two books in a series come out so close to each other. Um, How did you feel, like, when you first heard the idea to do that? And, like, how do you think it's, like, kind of uh, colored your experience with releasing this duology?
2: So my... Book. Um, my two books originally sold in a in a, in the as a duology in twenty nineteen. Like what is time? Who knows? <laughs> uh, end of twenty nineteen, and then it wasn't until a few months later when I was working on the first book that my editor came was saying like they want to do an experiment of sorts to see because um, I think there's been other duologies that have been um released or other series that have been released like this before with like a really quick um schedule just so readers don't have to wait that long to pick up the second book and um and I thought oh okay then I think I can um do it it sounds it, it's Kind of interesting because the, there were like both good and bad things that came from the experience because the good thing is um, after we finished like book one, I can jump directly into book two and then also clean up some of those little inconsistencies in book one that, um, of course, past me was like, oh, this is fine. I'll deal with it later. And then comes back to like kick me in the butt in book two. Um, so that was really uh, um a bonus of the process but then one of the things I found really hard was just um, when working on book two I was also dealing with like the copy edits and the past pages of book one so it was like having to switch my brain (laughs) on between the two books but even though it's like the same world it is still I felt like it kind of affected some of my um, writing process Um, but I was lucky that my editor is really amazing and and was willing to read a very, really, very terrible first draft of my second book, like embarrassingly terrible and helped me like get it up to um, so that it's, it was ready for um, release. So it was very stressful.
1: I'm sure it wasn't as terrible as you, as you think it was.
2: Uh, I still think about it and it still
1: makes me like wanted for one. Like nightmares of your first Yeah, Judy's like plague my dream. Yeah. <laughs> um so so I wanna I wanna back up a little bit because since, you know, you and I are friends, I do know that you kind of tried other things other things when you were first trying to figure out what book you were going to debut with and you did look into ip and book packaging um so how was that for you especially because you did it as a pre-debut like you hadn't debuted yet and you were considering doing ip and book packaging um how did you like come to that decision and like how was that process for you
2: So that was when I was really stuck, like when my, that Pitch Wars book didn't sell. And I just, I had a couple of of things I was working on, but it didn't feel like I was going, it was going anywhere. So then um, I, um, I read the pitch and was like, oh, why not? Because I I really like, I think maybe it's because once again, going back to writing fan fiction, it's kind of nice to play around in the, in a world that somebody else has created but there's like a structure and um, maybe characters already built in and you just kind of have to wor- work around that. I kind of saw it as a challenge so I liked that process of it but um, unfortunately the actual reality of working with um, with it was full of uh, microaggressions, and and it was just very disheartening, because I kind of felt like I was reached out because of, like, my, like, Taiwanese heritage, and, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. and it wasn't, uh, because obviously I didn't have a book to, I didn't have a book that they can be like, oh, it's because we admire your writing, it, mm-hmm. but it was just because they had this pitch that was kind of vaguely um Chinese inspired Mm -hmm. but just being on the call and talking to them it was just a really weird experience (sighs) and I didn't yeah it didn't go anywhere thankfully I don't know about what I would have done where but that was kind of a uh, not a great experience and then after that I had another um audition and uh a process with a book packager and it came through because of um like a team with like bike pack um mm-hmm. editors and so that made me feel more comfortable with the process but then that was another <laughs> road to disappointment um because that that didn't work out either so um so I don't know if I, to be honest, if I would ever do something like that again, unless it was like an established universe that I'm, um, because it was just, um, I guess it's really disheartening. Um, mm-hmm. and as, a as an author of color to experience that, and you hear about people experiencing that a lot. And I'm kind of like, uh. I'm fairly oblivious as a person. I just kind of go and do my thing and try my best. And I try not to um, let things bother me too much, but like to be on some of those phone calls and having those discussions and hearing people like say things like, like, you know, like the, we don't know if this would have any sort of readership, you know, or like, Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah we're like oh it's such a saturated market and you know that kind of thing or like this genre is dead whichever you know you hear all of that and then it just kind of yeah
0: I'm so sorry Judy For you sure. Deserve better I love how the genre is always only oversaturated when it's like people of color yeah but we can have literally the most bland boring repetitive books by like white girls with brown hair for (laughs) ever and ever like it's like a genre right like their instagrams all look the same the premises can all be the same and it doesn't matter like we have to go above and beyond so often and it's so frustrating
1: yeah i think well it's interesting to listen to your story um because i think there's something to be said and you kind of touched on it that like like you were pre-debut so like yeah, maybe it would have been different if you had, uh, published work out there that you could say like, no, like this is what my voice is, and this is what my work is supposed to look like, and I want to stick to my creative vision as an artist at, that I've already established. But when you are a clean slate. Um, and you're trying to work on a project that has more cooks in the kitchen. Um, and to be like, at a book packager, like, depending on the book packager, like, some of them do give more creative license to their um, authors. But some of them, like, are like, no, this is exactly what we want. And you have to do the way we want you to do it. And um, it's a very business way of looking at it. But, like, unfortunately, this is a business. So, like, that. Like companies like that do exist. Like it's not it's not even that they're wrong necessarily. It's just hard to work with someone like that. And so when they try to steamroller your literal identity because like they hired you because of your BIPOC identity. Then, then that's a problem, you know? Then issues okay. arise. Like they can't be treating your BIPOC voice the same way they treat another author's like fantasy voice. Like, oh, you're a fantasy author and this is how we want you to write fantasy. To treat an actual lived identity the same way is wrong. Um, and unfortunately, I think a lot of people in the industry treat it that way. Um, yeah. As if like being BIPOC is a genre. <laughs> Yeah,
0: or, like, a trend of some sort. Give me a break. Yeah,
1: yeah. so I, I'm glad that, you know, you ended up being able to, like, have autonomy with your debut because, like, your writing is beautiful and I'm, like, really glad that you had the freedom to do it the way you wanted to do it. Um, and this is not nothing against people who do decide to debut with IP or with um, book packagers or anything like that. I, I know a few people who have their first book that, came out was working with a book packager, and they're quite happy with it um, but it's everything's just slightly like that much more difficult when you have a marginalized identity as well. It also really depends who you're working with, you know, and mm-hmm. sometimes there's no
0: way to know until you're in the situation you have to build um, trust them which is hard,
1: yeah yeah, um it all worked out for the way it was supposed to in the end for you. <laughs> like because this your debut is beautiful <laughs> thank yeah. you yeah no um, in the end I'm glad I wasn't locked
2: into that contract right uh-huh. like I wouldn't have been able to move forward and do other things if that ended up I think it would have been a nightmare <laughs> if it ended up yeah. going that route it would be like achieving a dream but at what cost
1: yeah yeah
2: so like I'm glad I was able to get out of there and I was also dealing with some like personal things at a time so actually didn't didn't hurt me as much as I um as I thought it would it was just like okay just another thing I can't really I don't have the brain power to think about it right now and then I was lucky that just like a couple um, it wasn't very long after that I actually sold um, my books so when yeah, when Rachel called me I was actually like at the doctor's office <laughs> and, and so that was uh, but all those things have been resolved now which is nice just it was like really really terrible things happening good things happening and it was everything was mashed up into 2019.
1: So. Oh yeah emotional yeah. roller coaster
2: for mm-hmm. sure.
1: Um, but th- yeah, I think it's a really good thing that you had an agent um, to help you while you were going through this process because they could navigate you through it. And I think that, unfortunately, I, th- I, my biggest advice for someone who's going to try to get traditionally published, whether they go through a packager, they go through in-house IP, or they just try to submit their work directly to the publisher, I, and in my mind, an agent is really, really integral. To that process because stuff like this comes up and when it and when it does come up if you don't have an agent like you're gonna like be floundering and you Mm -hmm. won't know what to do and it's easier for someone to take advantage of you big time Mm -hmm. yeah that's right because the first experience i had with the editor my agent
2: wasn't on that call Mm -hmm. with her and the publisher and that was when like i could feel it start going sideways but i didn't like i was like you know a total newbie so i didn't know how to stop it i just Mm -hmm. knew something felt wrong so then after that i was i i asked rachel to be present on every call just because she knows more than i do yeah and that i can just touch base with her after saying like did that feel right was this like normal and that's and she's always been very supportive of that yeah so i'm very grateful to have her in my corner.
1: That's really great. Yeah. It's good to have an agent where you can like go to them as soon as you feel uncomfortable because you trust them to like mm-hmm. help you through these situations. For sure. Um, all right, Judy. So everyone who comes on Right or
0: Die tells us their most embarrassing publishing related story or something that was shade known before they started. You can do either or you can do both. It's up, up to you.
2: I was thinking about this, and um, because I live in a pretty rural place in Canada, I haven't traveled a lot to um, different conferences, so I haven't done anything super embarrassing, well, that I'm aware of. (laughs) So maybe I'll... I'll, Well, I'm sure that will be to come. But um, I can talk about things that I I, I guess something that I wish I um, had known about was... um, I think just basically what we've discussed in this, um, in in this, um, time so far is that, um, I wish I had known there would always be like the next step, you know, there's always something more to, uh, reach for, whether it's like getting into a mentorship program or, um, getting that, um, agent and then the book deal, et cetera. And then after that, you just kind of feels like you, that the no face and spirited away, you just want to more and more and (laughs) more and (laughs) more. But, uh, uh, I, I mean, I'm still learning, um, how to control like that, like watching other people get things that you want and then just trying to be, present in the moment and be grateful for what I have. And i just feel like really incredibly lucky that even with all like the not so great things that I still have like a really great community. And I'm like with you, uh, Kat and Clarabelle and all the other people that I've met um, so far. And now with like readers coming to me and and I think that's, that's all I want to focus on and, um, I'm hoping that yeah, any of the aspiring um, authors who are listening to this can um, find their own peace because it's it is sometimes very difficult path. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that, yeah, that's that's what I'm striving for. Sounds
1: that's that such great. good advice. Yeah, very very good. <laughs> for sure, find your own peace. Uh, that's very important. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Judy, for being on the podcast. It's been, yeah. like, really fun to catch up with you, especially because the panini makes it so hard for us to, like, keep in touch with our friends. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: I know. Well, thank you, too. Like I like I said, I'm really, really happy to be here and to chat with you and, and excited for all of the other things to come, too. I'm like, just seeing all the wonderful things that have happened for both of you. So that makes me very happy. Thank Thank you, you. Judy.
0: You too. We'll be cheering you on as loudly as we can from
1: wherever we are. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I hope one day we'll meet. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Before we let you go, can you tell everyone where they can find you on the internet? So I am on um, Twitter at Judy I.
2: Lynn. And on Instagram at judy island author.
1: Awesome. Perfect. We will link all of that as well as the pre-order links for both a magic steeped in poison and a venom dark and sweet, so you can pr- buy the. Prerequisite: twenty copies 20 of each. copies, yeah, of each. And there's so a 40 copies. There's a Barnes and Noble exclusive edition of *A Magic Steeped in Poison*, so you can actually buy twenty of those copies, twenty regular copies. You know, whatever your heart desires.
0: Today's an expensive episode, okay? It is like, very expensive. They're going to happen sometimes, so yeah. you know what to do, Bertie. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
1: thank you again, Judy. All right. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Write or Die. Be sure to check out Wicked Fox by Kat Cho. And Ghost Squad by Claribel A. Ortega. And while you're at it, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. See you next time, wordies.
0: And don't forget to spread the word.